Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And we just want to offer a little bit of a trigger warning at the top of this podcast because we are going to be talking about revenge porn. And this could be triggering to people that this might have happened to. We're also going to be talking about things that you might not want younger listeners to hear about at the moment. So just a heads up on that. But we are talking about this because It's such an important conversation to be having right now because it's looking at the intersection of things like sexual harassment, uh, agency over, you know, women's bodies, Internet privacy, all of these different things commingling at this time right now. So to kick things off, let's talk about what revenge porn, also known as cyber rape, is. Yeah, this is basically sexually explicit images and videos that are accessed through computer or phone hacking, theft by computer repair people, false personal ads, or more commonly posted or forwarded by jilted exes. Um, it's used for the purpose of sexual humiliation, possibly shaming, things like that, blackmail even. And involuntary porn is generally posted online with the subject's real name and contact information. Yeah, there will often be links to these people's social media profiles. And this kind of uh, IDing of people is referred to on the Internet as doxing. Mm-hmm. So if you hear about doxing, uh, that's that's what this is. It, doxing doesn't always happen in terms of revenge porn, but is increasingly one aspect of it, which makes it even more horrifying because not only are your photos exposed or your videos exposed, but harassment can then follow when people uh, know who you are Mm -hmm. and try to slander you in those ways. But the precise statistics of how pervasive revenge porn is are a little tricky to come by. But we do know that when it comes to people sending each other sexy, racy, nude pics and videos, according to data from the Pew Research Center, 9% of Americans with cell phones have sent naked photos or videos, which is up actually from 6% in 2012 and 20%, which is a big jump there, have received a naked picture or video. But of those, 6% have forwarded naked pictures or videos to a third party. I, I'm shaking my head because how disgusting. It is disgusting. And uh, I'll be completely honest and say that I've witnessed this among guy friends uh, I've had. Mm-hmm. Well, there was one friend in particular who was dating a girl for a while and they broke up and we were out hanging out one night and he asked if I wanted to see a topless photo of his ex to which I said, no. And why would you even be offering me this? Yeah, this is horrifying. Um, but there are also speaking of that exact situation of breaking up with someone and then being in possession of uh, what some might think are compromising photos. In 2013, McAfee conducted a survey finding that approximately 10 percent of ex-partners have threatened to post sexually explicit photos online. And of those, 60 percent of those threats were followed through on. Yeah, I um. I don't know about you. I I feel like almost every relationship that I've been in, the guy at some point asks for photos like this. 
And because of an experience I had when I was younger, which I won't get into, I will never, ever, ever do that. I have never agreed to to anything like this because you don't know. You don't know. You could be dating someone for 10 years. You could be in love. You could have freaking children and puppies and a house and everything. You just don't know if something will go wrong, that person will snap, and you don't know who will end up with those pictures. Even if your ex isn't vengeful or crazy and doesn't do it, what if somebody gets a hold of his phone? Yeah, because even more disconcerting is the fact that there is clearly an appetite for revenge porn on the Internet. Uh, For instance, so-called revenge porn king, a.k.a. the most hated man on the Internet, a guy named Hunter Moore, who was in the news recently because he was arrested. Uh, His revenge porn site is Anyone Up, which is no longer in existence. Uh, He reported that it was making $13,000 a month. I also saw $20,000 a month in another report off advertisements and had amassed around 30 million page views. Uh, there was another revenge porn site involved in a clash action suit, for instance, that had at least 250 different women's photos and attracted more than 2,000 visitors a day. Right, and women are the main targets of these kinds of sites. Men are absolutely on there, too, but women are the majority. Uh, University of Maryland law professor Danielle Citron has studied the issue for her book on online harassment, Hate 3.0, A Civil Rights Agenda to Combat Online Harassment. She estimates that 60 to 70 percent of the victims of online harassment, including revenge porn, are women, and the abuse is often very sexualized. There are threats of rape, there are false prostitution ads, things like calling women sluts, even when the victim is a man. And when the victim is a man, that language changes, because what is the purpose of of this malicious stuff? It's shaming, right? Shaming and embarrassing and humiliating the person. And so when men are the targets and their pictures are posted, that language does tend to revolve around homophobia, calling them gay. And and similarly, there are also, you know, the, the sexually violent language that's used against them, but usually in terms of them wanting to have sex with other men or be sex offenders. It just, just horrific hate speech being lobbed at these people. And not surprisingly, there are psychological repercussions. This is one reason why revenge porn is sometimes referred to as cyber rape because for its victims, revenge porn can trigger things like anxiety disorder, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, and paranoia, not to mention the very real-world havoc it can wreak on job prospects, relationships. Because if you're applying for a job or if you're in academia, Mm -hmm. climbing your way up through that, people Google you. Yeah. And if your image and name and social media profile, all this stuff is being uh, used on revenge porn sites, that's what pops up. Right. And I mean, it, it almost seems like these kind of things, these sites are like the Hydra. I mean, yeah, you shut one down, but three more are going to pop up in like Eastern Europe somewhere. You know, like it, it, it almost seems like the abuse never stops because once someone posts your picture and abuses you that way, it's just going to spread. Yeah, and to, to get even more perspective on... The impact of revenge porn on those people whose images are being spread around non-consensually. In 2008, a cyber civil rights initiative study found that over 80% of revenge porn victims experienced severe emotional distress and anxiety. 
And so when did all of this start? I know that uh, I, I wanted to do an episode on revenge porn because it's been in the news and on covered on lady blogs more commonly, I feel like, in the past two years. Mm-hmm. But when did it start? When did, oh, how did this happen? Um, well, New York Mag's Alexa Sulis Ray in July 2013 traced it back to the 1980s because there was a hustler feature that asked for nude photos of women um, with info, including their hobbies, their fantasies, and sometimes their real names. Yeah, and there was one instance, uh, there were actually many women who complained to Hustler about this when they realized that their photos were in there. And there was one instance, kind of like old school hacking, where the photos that had been published had actually been stolen from a couple. Mm-hmm. And um, while it's terrible that Hustler did that, the fact that it was a print magazine meant that there were a finite number of those magazines right. with those photos, unlike the Hydra effect of revenge porn, where even if you can stop one site or get one site to take your photos down, that doesn't mean it's gone. Right, absolutely. And so on the Internet, you see in 2000, Italian researcher Sergio Messina identifying an emergent genre he calls real core pornography. And this was uh, referring to photos and videos of ex-girlfriends in particular, initially shared on Usenet groups. So kind of popping up more on uh, message boards and kind of Reddit-esque, I'm not saying it's on Reddit, Reddit-esque sites. Yeah. And later in the 2000s, in 2008, you start to get websites and blogs dedicated to the genre uh, appearing and often mixing real user-submitted revenge porn with staged versions. Yeah. Uh, in 2008, porn video aggregator Xtube was uh, claiming that the site was getting two to three complaints a week about the this kind of revenge porn mm-hmm. popping up uh, of people going on and seeing, oh, wow, hi, that is that is me on Xtube. Wasn't supposed to happen. But then 2010 is really where I feel like it starts to get a lot of national and global attention because two things happen. Over in New Zealand, you have a 20-year-old house painter who is the first person to go f- to prison for posting revenge porn on Facebook. And Facebook now, by the way, has an extremely, you know, anti-revenge porn policy, obviously. And they've even, they'll take down any kinds of groups associated with it at all. Mm-hmm. And then that same year, you have Hunter Moore, the most hated man on the Internet, launching IsAnyoneUp.com, which is, I mean, that's really the source of the mainstreaming, if you can call it mainstreaming, of Revenge porn. Yeah. Um, and that, again, was featuring these women's pictures along with their names and identifying details. And according to the Daily Dot, within days, the site was getting 20 to 30 submissions per day. And so I'm just like imagining these floodgates opening and all of these angry people who hate women <laughs> just just being like, oh, yay, hooray. I finally have a way to uh, get my rage out there. Well, and Hunter Moore is, and I, I don't think I've probably ever described someone like this on the podcast before. We usually <laughs> uh, try to give people the benefit of the doubt, but he's a vile human being. Yeah. Because he explicitly says that he is out to sexually shame, especially women. I mean, that, that's the whole point. And he thinks it's hilarious and to the yeah. point where he wants to dox people. He wants, you know, their entire identities 
exposed non-consensually and he wants to harass people. And the way that is anyone up really became more well known was when it actually was not a revenge porn of a woman, but actually a guy. I forget. He was in some like old alternative band, but they got some crotch shots, I think, of him and it went viral on the Internet. And that incident turned Hunter Moore into this gross anti-hero. I mean, because he definitely has fans mm-hmm. and women who are fans of his, which I really don't understand. But uh, he, in a lar- large way, is to blame for a lot of revenge porn going on. Yeah, but around this time, you also have, you know, thank you, Internet, uh, the rise of the creep shot which is basically taking pictures of women's crotches and breasts without their consent in public places, like, you know, doing those upskirt shots and posting those all over the Internet. Yeah, and there are just disgusting tips that have been passed around on Reddit. That was uh, the first place that I read about creep shots. Um, And it's technically not porn, but it's still a blatant violation of women's privacy. Yeah, well, and I think this just goes back to the fact that there are a lot of, uh, I was going to say people, but there, I mean, I think there are a lot of men out there who just don't think that women deserve their own, not only sphere of safety, but, you know, just to be a freaking person. Well, there's a lot of gross power dynamics mm-hmm. in revenge porn because it is very rapey, it is harassing, and it is essentially deriving pleasure out of other people's humiliation. Right. And it's it's saying, you know, women uh, women who have had sex with me, uh, obviously you're sluts for having sex, even though I'm glad you had sex with me, and I'm going to shame you for it. Exactly. Kira Cushane, though, writing over at The Guardian, had an interesting theory about the rise of revenge porn and creep shots, linking it to paparazzi culture. Because if you think about how rabid those photographers have become, particularly in pursuit of photos of young actresses in compromising positions. I mean, the heyday of Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan and Britney Spears going out and partying in those you know, infamous photos of Britney Spears getting out of a limousine, not wearing any underwear, being able to see up her skirt. I mean, and and, and they thrive. Those photos thrive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, and the more recent example, obviously, would be Kate Middleton, who was photographed sunbathing topless on vacation. But when you look at how far away her villa was from the freaking road where the picture was taken, I mean, she was sought after and people were victim blaming her. People were saying like, oh, well, you know, you slut, you shouldn't have been sunbathing with your shirt off. Should have known better. But she was in a completely private home. And who cares? Yeah. Well, yes, of course. And who, who, cares? who cares? But this person, the photographer actually, you know, went after her. Well, one name that comes up a lot in articles on this topic is Marianne Franks. And she's an associate professor of law at the University of Miami and a cyber harassment expert. And she spoke to The Guardian about this. And she said what unites creep shots, the Kate Middleton photographs, the revenge porn websites, is that they all feature the same fetishization of non-consensual sexual activity with women who either you don't have access to or have been denied future access to. And it's really this product of rage and entitlement. And when I read that, I actually kind of sat back in my chair for a minute because 
I don't know if there's any better way to sum up the the ickiness around this, the feelings, the the general undercurrent of these images. It's that rage and entitlement. Absolutely. And unfortunately, a lot of times when people hear about anecdotes, whether it's, you know, Kate Middleton having, you know, those topless photos taken or women who have been the victims of revenge porn, also men who have been the victims of revenge porn. I don't want to leave them entirely out of this conversation. But a lot of times the response to it is, well, you should have known better. Oh, yeah. It gets very victim blaming. And I'm going to acknowledge publicly on this podcast that I have been guilty of that before as well, of thinking, well, why did you, why would you possibly ever send someone a topless photo or a naked photo or any kind of pornographic image of yourself in this day and age? Okay. Shouldn't you know better? But I was just so, uh, I hate that I did that because reading about it, I realize now how completely victim blamey that is. Because if you are in a loving and committed relationship with someone. And you know what? Even if you're not, even mm-hmm. if you're just having sex with somebody, there is that implicit understanding, you would think, that yeah. what happens between... You know, when you have sex with someone, you probably aren't having sex in front of a crowd of people. So similarly, when you, if you were to send a sext of some sort, there is that implicit understanding that you're not sending it to a crowd of people. Right. You're sending it to one person. And and you want, as a human being, you want to trust other human beings. And uh, I think the fact is, and I, I totally admit to having these thoughts, too. Why would she ever send that? Why would she even take the picture and have it on her own personal phone? I mean, but there is that that um, that unfortunate truth, yeah, which is that the Internet is not yours. You don't have your own personal Internet. It's not safe. And sometimes you can't trust people. And so, I mean, the question should not be, should women be taking these photos? Shouldn't we be talking more about why are other people, men, strangers, why are they breaking this trust and sending the photos out? And it's not just men, too, who will forward on these kinds of messages. There is plenty of similar slut shaming that women fuel to other women as well. And uh, I mean, a lot of this conversation about the legalities around revenge porn or the illegalities around it and also this victim blaming response revolves, too, around the fact that a lot of the photos in question are selfies. Mm-hmm. They're women taking them of themselves or guys taking them of themselves. And uh, <laughs> it's the same kind of thing of t- telling a sexual assault victim well, why would you dress like that? Yep. And that selfie issue of it being a woman willingly being in a state of undress and capturing that image is used again and again and again to undercut the validity of, you know, the the psychological and real world repercussions, negative repercussions of revenge porn mm-hmm. and just saying, well, you know what? You, sh- you shouldn't shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done that. Yeah. To the women, not to Hunter Moore. Yeah, well, we know he definitely shouldn't have done that. But the good news, and yes, there is good news to this conversation, is that uh, as this is becoming more of a higher profile issue, there has been a lot of legal conversation around it. And a lot, too, a growing number of revenge porn targets, victims, however you want to call it, who are taking back the power to create some kind of workable solution to this 
growing issue. And we're going to talk about that when we come right back from a quick break. So when we left off, we were talking about the whole victim blaming aspect of uh, revenge porn and how so many people say, well, the woman or, or the man never should have taken these photos when really we should be asking the question, why are people posting these photos on the Internet for strangers to see? Um, and I mean, you know, a lot of these incidents will drive the victims to hide, change their names, move to a different city because it essentially ruins their lives. Yeah, because you got to remember that that doxing often happens alongside it. So people find out where you live, where you work, what you, you know, do on the weekends via your Facebook profile. Um, but as we said, there is good ish news um, in this conversation, which is that there are people who are making it their mission to figure out a way to, if not stop it, to criminalize it. Because it is, I mean, a lot of it is criminal activity when, when you think about the, the harm that is often wrought. And one woman who has really come to the forefront of this was a victim of revenge porn. Her name is Holly Jacobs. She actually changed her name to Holly Jacobs due to uh, the fact that her Google identity is completely smeared by revenge porn and she really wouldn't be able to live, have a professional identity outside of mm-hmm. naked photos of herself. And this all started when she had been dating a guy for a while and they were long distance for two and a half years. And over the course of that time, she amassed and he amassed a collection of, you know, sexually explicit photos and videos that they would send to each other as a way to kind of bridge that long distance gap. And after they broke up, she thought that everything was fine, that it was amicable. And then all of a sudden, one day, her friend frantically calls her saying, you need to check your Facebook account because someone changed your profile picture to a nude photo of you. And this is happening in 2008. And all of a sudden, you know, even though she was able to change the Facebook picture, more than a dozen photos of her had landed on various porn sites and this, you know, and, and so she works to get all of them taken down. She thinks everything's totally kosher. But then in 2011, years later, she receives an anonymous email that linked to a URL she had never seen before. And there again, it had started with more photos of her linking to her Facebook profile, email address, phone number, and even information about where she worked. Yeah, and so she's also getting harassed during this time, obviously. I mean, you know, the person posted all of her personal information, so she's getting harassed by strangers. And by the time that site was shut down, her pic- her pictures had spread to more than 200 other websites. But when she saw legal recourse, people didn't know what to do. I mean, the, she called the Miami police, and they were like, uh, nothing is amiss inside of your home. What? We, we can't do anything to help you. Yeah. Probably shouldn't have taken those picks. And even lawyers, a lot of lawyers turned down her case because they, uh, you know, they were like, well, wh- what do you want us to do? Prosecute the Internet? Sorry. Uh-uh. Right. Yeah. Basically, they said, you know, look, you were a legal adult. You chose to send these pictures to someone. And then that person turned around and possibly did something with them. Sorry, we can't help you. But in April of 2013, she, Miss Jacobs, actually became the first person in the state of Florida to sue an ex 
for the alleged dis- distribution of revenge porn. Now, I should also say that, you know, the outcome of that case is that all the charges were dropped against her ex-boyfriend, Ryan Stay, after prosecutors said they couldn't find sufficient proof linking him to all of those other, you know, the... The distribution, basically. Exactly. Um, but now, Jacobs hasn't stopped. She's going public with her experience. Um, her story has been told. I mean, we read a story about her in Cosmopolitan magazine. Actually, a surprisingly good and comprehensive article about revenge porn in Cosmo, folks. Times are changing, apparently. Uh, but you might hear her her name a lot because... It's now her mission to help bring down revenge porn, and she's even started an organization to, you know, empower victims with legal resources and is also starting a petition or has started a petition for a federal law against revenge porn. And that's the tricky issue, is that the laws around what goes on the Internet are very challenging for people whose naked pics have been non-consensually posted because it's not necessarily criminal. Hunter Moore, for instance, was recently arrested by the FBI in late January of 2014, but he wasn't arrested for all of the revenge porn that he posted. He was arrested for hacking. Yeah. Um, his charges include conspiracy, unauthorized access to a protected computer to obtain information and seven counts of aggregated identity theft because we're, we're, you know, we're living in an era where all of our laws, rules, regulations about the internet can't keep up. They just can't keep up with the way that things are developing online, and we just haven't gotten there yet to protect people as well as we should on the Internet. Well, and there are all these fears about free speech and a slippery slope where if you start regulating the kind of things that can and cannot go on the Internet, first of all, <laughs> good luck yeah. trying that. But um, but there are legitimate concerns about carefully wording laws that get passed to make sure that it doesn't have a chilling effect on other kinds of speech. Mm -hmm. And so, for instance, in the case of Hunter Moore, he always spoke very openly to news outlets about what he did and his intentions with his revenge porn website. He was, you know, he could care less because of a little thing called the Communications Decency Act, which was passed in 1996. And in that, there is Section 230 which grants website operators immunity from lawsuits over their users' speech, which was a measure intended to preserve online free speech. So in addition to giving Hunter Moore some legal shelter to be able to post user-generated content, Mm. which is what all that revenge porn is, he's not, you know, he's not taking those photos. This is also, though, the Section 30. This also allows for say, the New York Times to include comment sections mm-hmm. right. with their, you know, under their articles. And when you're a commenter, you can say all sorts of hateful things. And the New York Times isn't going to get blasted for that. Right. And and lawyers have pointed out that the whole obscenity argument is an exception to Section 230. You know, pornography, obscenity, obscenity is not protected speech. And you mentioned user-generated content. Another lawyer was saying... It's not like these things are truly, literally user generated. Yeah, because the the person who generated that content was not complicit in right. it being posted. 
Yeah, and so when you look at the lack of anti-revenge porn laws and you look at copyright law, um, copyright law is probably your best avenue for, for getting pictures taken down. Yeah, there is a whole rundown about this in the American Bar Association journal talking about how with copyright law, if the photo is a selfie, a sexy selfie, then the victim owns that copyright automatically without registering it he or she is free to send takedown notices to the website's operator under the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. And if you were to do that, that should also compel that website to de-index whatever pages had your photos as well. So that would help scrub your Google identity clean. Yeah, well, a lot of good that's going to do you, though, if it's based in a different country. That's right, because a lot of times foreign web hosts don't really care too much about U.S. copyright violations. And also the Electronic Frontier Foundation and organizations like the ACLU are hesitant again about revenge porn laws because of those First Amendment concerns, because they say, well, if you start opening this up, you could have public figures suing Wikipedia for unsavory information about their personal lives being posted or their professional lives or business owners suing Yelp if there are negative reviews. Yeah. But there are laws that have been enacted that are still protective of free speech and of the First Amendment, because we're all about the First Amendment. We're a podcast, for crying out (laughs) loud. We love the First Amendment. But there are anti-revenge porn laws that have been crafted and legal groups that are looking into how the, the best way to institute these laws, which are happening right now in the United States on more of a state by state basis. Yeah. Back in 2003, uh, New Jersey actually became the first state to make it a felony to distribute sexual photos of another person without permission. So New Jersey's on the cutting edge of that. Fast forward 10 years in October of 2013, California Governor Jerry Brown signed an anti-revenge porn law. But it has a ginormous loophole. It doesn't protect victims who took the photos themselves. And these photos make up about 80 percent of revenge porn pictures. Yeah. And on top of that, uh, even though California made a big to do about this law, the crime is only considered a misdemeanor punishable by up to six months in jail or a $1,000 fine. And so that's another thing that legal scholars are talking about in terms of you not only need to include that selfie provision in there because Mm -hmm. 80% of revenge porn are selfies. And also you got to make sure that the possible criminal impact of this is (laughs) basically scary enough to people like Hunter Moore. Mm -hmm. And Holly Jacobs, uh, who we cited earlier, and other people are working very hard to get similar laws on the books in Alabama Georgia, Maryland, New York, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. So, I mean, people are actively trying to make a dent in this. I mean, you know, we're, we're fighting against technology. It's kind of a moving target at all times, but I, you know, they are fighting to say that we have rights. We have rights even on the internet. Yeah. And this isn't a U.S. centric issue either. I mean, in, in late 2013, Australia passed legislation making it illegal to distribute explicit images without a person's consent. And uh, more recently, in January of 2014, Israel banned revenge porn, and it's now punishable by up to five years in prison. Um, But again, yeah, it's it's an issue of how do you craft these laws in an effective enough way to where, you know, you discourage perpetrators from doing it in the first place and also protect free speech 
so that it doesn't have a chilling effect and you also protect potential victims because this is all too tied up with our concept of you know what is sexual harassment what is cyber harassment mm-hmm. you know women's agency over their bodies i mean it's so it's an intersection of so many different things that we don't really do a good job of talking about to right. begin with right and that's why one of those law journals that we were looking at stressed the importance of educating our lawmakers basically on all of these issues not only what is revenge porn you know where are these photos coming from the the issue of manipulation and abuse but also what these people are going through that these victims uh are likely going to experience you know job loss you know loss of income but also emotional and mental distress and it is interesting too holly jacobs has said that she doesn't want to be called a victim. She mm-hmm. wants to, you know, be empowered through this, um, and, you know, to, to make life better, not only for herself, but for other people who have been affected by this. And one thing that some people might be thinking is, well, hey, there's a much easier solution to this, which is stop taking photos of your vagina and sending it out. And while I absolutely think that Young women and men, but especially young women, because we make up a bulk of revenge porn targets. The young women need to be educated Mm -hmm. about what can happen Mm -hmm. and how this, unfortunately, is a part of the digital landscape. But the answer is not, ladies, put your tops on and put your phones away, but rather digging deep and figuring out how, you know, to hold people accountable. Because like it or not, sexting is a part also of our modern sex lives as well. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and unfortunately, what goes along with that is, you know, maybe the younger generations of boys looking at sex, that's plural, uh, as almost currency. Like, look how cool I am that I have all these topless photos of all these girls in my class. Right. Right. And not to be totally cliched about it, but it is the thing of like, we have more power than ever before to consume porn and to mm-hmm. consume is sexual communication with people. I mean, sexting has made, I'm sure for a lot of couples, long distance relationships a lot easier to deal with in that regard. But with that great power, now comes the great responsibility. And what, you know, the legal system has done to this point, I mean, as if they could have anticipated it, but we're, we're lacking on the responsibility part. Absolutely. Well, but there are, uh, avenues uh, that you can take to uh, control this yourself. Um, one, uh, this and this advice it goes back to that Cosmo article that that Kristen cited earlier. Uh, number one is to copyright your pictures um, because this allows you to send those takedown notices to websites using them and to search engines, and you can do that at copyright.gov. But remember, you don't even have to go and register your photos at copyright.gov if you took a photo of yourself, you automatically legally own the copyright mm-hmm. to that photo. So if you are sending sexy selfies, you might want to keep a log of them, keep a file of all of whatever photos you're sending out, not to be paranoid, but if you want to make sure to CYA, then see your copyright. <laughs> and if you do see your photos, you can contact the web host directly. I mean, because a lot of times... U.S.-based companies don't want to get sued. One of uh, there was a recent civil suit 
that GoDaddy, which mm-hmm. is a prominent web hosting company, was pulled into because uh, it was kind of revolutionary because it wasn't just going after the revenge porn site, but also GoDaddy for even hosting it. Yeah. And I'm, I can't remember what the exact um, results of that were, but they didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. But that is one way, too, that if, uh, you know, that if you see your pictures, contact the web host. Yeah. And uh, the voices of authority in this area, which it's a very small number of people who are really, uh, really have expertise in this. Uh, they encourage women to get back out there, basically. You know, it's it's natural to want to shut down your entire Internet presence because you're being harassed. But people urge you to actually get back out there even more. Join those online groups, make profiles, blog, all of the stuff they say, because the more material you're posting that's newly generated, the further down your photos will go. You also want to do things like maybe set a Google alert for your name. And if one of those pictures comes up, you'll already be ready to tackle it. And there are a growing number of organizations that you can reach out to um, to figure out any kind of legal recourse you could take or just help with getting photos taken down, etc., um, or just connecting with other people who are going through similar situations. So organizations like Without My Consent, Army of She, and RevengePorn.org, uh, those are just a few of these um, advocate groups that are now starting to pop up more. And if you if you don't have a pencil and paper right now, don't worry. We'll have information like all of our episode sources over at StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. If you click on the podcast link on the homepage, we'll include all of the links to everything that we've been talking about. So um, you can... If you want more information, you yeah. can find it there as well. Well, I think it's I think it's so incredibly important that these women are speaking out. Um, you know, I, I think, yeah, your natural inclination would be to just hide and, and try to ignore it and make it go away. Move to a different country, a different state. Um, but the fact that these women are speaking up and saying, no, I'm taking control of this situation. I want other people Women, men, everyone, especially younger people who, you know, that's a whole other issue of the generational divide in this technology stuff. But, you know, making people more aware of the damage that can be done. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of kind of wanting to hide, this is too one of those topics where I would much prefer to bury my head in the sand and pretend that it's not happening because it is horrifying. It's off. Yeah, it's disgusting. But that's one reason to... That we decided to talk about. I mean, we've, I don't think we've really ever talked about porn on the podcast. Um, but this is one where we gotta, we gotta address it, especially for our audience. Yeah, for sure. So if what we've been talking about resonates with you and you want to talk to us about it, uh, we want to hear from you. Momstuffatdiscovery.com is where you can send us emails. You can also tweet us at momstuffpodcast and also message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of letters to share with you right now. So for a little bit of a lighter diversion, we've got a couple of letters here from our episode on gender and coffee. And this one comes from a gentleman who who didn't include his name. He's a Turkish gentleman, though. So he writes, as I've just finished listening to your specialty coffee and gender podcast, I was very interested in your historical approach to the modern day situation. Being a Turk and enjoying coffee very strong coffee, as a matter of fact, I wanted to let you know that the best coffee is made by women in my country. In fact, it's almost an art. 
A good woman to marry should be able to make Turkish coffee with plenty of foam on top. The more foam, the better you are. Also, as a pastime, we drink Turkish coffee and when done, flip our little cups over the saucers, wait for it to cool, and then read our fortunes. Just about anybody knows a thing or two about coffee cup reading, even guys. Sometimes drinking coffee and reading fortunes can take hours combined, and that's a great conversation. So my point with all of this is that with such a small cup of coffee, you can really enjoy the process much longer, and that women can be great coffee makers. I think my coffee cup fortune, though, would just always say, I'm tired. I'm tired. I need a, you, you need a nap in your future. And possibly a trip to the bathroom after. Yes. Um, I have a letter here from Michael. Uh, he says, I'm a male barista at Starbucks, and the moment I saw this episode pop up, I knew it was must-hear material. There is absolutely a gender divide in coffee. I currently work in a store where the female employees greatly outnumber the male employees, but most of the time, questions about coffee get fielded to me because I'm a guy. Customers seem to think that I know more about it than the women around me, even though many of them have been with the company for the same amount of time or longer. I even once had a customer snap in the face of a female manager to get her attention. Understandably, this was not taken well, and she was not happy about it. I also wanted to point out about gendered beverages. Several of my coworkers and I have considered charting demographics of drink orders because they definitely seem to follow a pattern. If a group of teenage girls walk up, my instinct is to get the blender ready because without fail, there will be a majority of them ordering frappuccinos. That said, there are just as many female customers I have who want just straight espresso or black coffee. And I wouldn't necessarily consider a cappuccino to be a feminine drink because if made right, it's going to have a stronger coffee flavor than a latte of the same size since cappuccino is one-third espresso, one-third steamed milk, and one-third milk foam, and a latte is just espresso and steamed milk. While I think it's ridiculous to assign genders to beverages, if I had to chart it, I would place a cappuccino on the more masculine end of the spectrum. Personally, I prefer a simple iced coffee or iced latte. So thank you for that window into coffee making, Michael. And thanks to everybody who's written in to us. MomStuffAtDiscovery.com is our email address. And for all of our podcasts, blogs, videos, and links to all of our social media presences, there's one place to go, and it's StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Thank you.